From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this special episode of What the Job. We recorded this one live on November 23rd at the Oliver Exchange. My guests were Joel Huckluck and Jennifer Keith, both entrepreneurs in their own right, who offer up tons of business tips and advice based on their experience running their own business. It was a great episode. We had a lot of fun, and I think you'll gain some valuable insight if you're interested at all in the world of entrepreneurs. Enjoy. What the Job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash ualbertaalumni. Excellent. Thank you all for coming out tonight. It's great to see a nice crowd out here. Great to be talking about the wonderful world of entrepreneurship. I love talking to entrepreneurs on the podcast because, you know, we always talk about how the journey, the career journey is one of twists and turns. It's very rarely a straight line. I mean, sometimes it is, but very rarely. And I think for entrepreneurs, even the job itself becomes that of uh, twists and turns along the way. So um, very excited to talk to our two guests today. And I will note, I have done episodes individually with each of them. So if you like what you hear, you can go to the show and give us those sweet, sweet clicks uh, <laughs> to, uh, to listen to their episodes. But they are great, and it was wonderful to hear your stories. You'll get a little bit more of their stories in those episodes. Uh, for this tonight, I'm going to talk a little bit more about being an entrepreneur, what goes into that, what kind of skills you develop. Um, and I want to start, and uh, maybe we'll just start um, straight with... <laughs> we'll start with Joel first, uh, and then we'll just go through both of you for this question. But I want to start with inspiration, because I think the thing I like most about talking to entrepreneurs, and I was talking to you a little bit about this before we started, but is there's always some sort of seed planted well before your entrepreneurial journey starts. There's some moment of inspiration, like in your childhood or growing up, that leads you down this path to, um, to, to the kind of business that you start. So, Joel, maybe starting with you, what was it, uh, well, maybe you want to talk a little bit first about what your business is, and then uh, how, how you got into it. What was your path? Yeah, for sure. So, my company is called Motiversity. We create motivational videos, products, content. Uh, across about 10 YouTube channels, and, and YouTube is our core focus. Um, we do podcasts, we do you know, Facebook and all the social media platforms as well. Uh, but between the, the 10 YouTube channels or so, we have about uh, 12 million YouTube subscribers or so. And I started the company about seven years ago now after graduating from the University of Alberta. And today we are based here in Edmonton, you know, started here in Edmonton, and we're at about 30, 30 employees now. So that's where we got started. And if you want to go way back to some of the inspiration uh, for me was, you know, when I look back to my childhood, there was a few things. One of them was, uh, a fun one was, when I was in like grade two or three, I was, uh, I started making mazes. I like, I like drawing and things like that. And in, in school, someone offered to buy the maze from me. And uh, so I started a little business uh, <laughs> selling mazes. I would like tape paper together and sell a 10-page maze for a dollar, uh, one page for 10 cents, that kind of thing. And 
you know, I think that might have been some early start of it. I had some family members in business as well that, that you know, probably influenced me as well. But, uh, you know, when you're in grade two and you have 10 cents or a dollar to buy a chocolate bar, that was uh, a pretty big deal. <laughs> so, you know, I point to that. In school, back in high school as well, I, I started a few YouTube channels in the really early days of YouTube, really for fun, just gaming channels. Uh, but I did actually learn in those early days when my parents told me I was, you know, spending too much time playing video games, uh, how I learned how to edit videos. I was downloading free editing software. I was mixing music with kind of gaming highlights. And, and the channel did okay for 2006. I think I had like a couple thousand followers and a few videos with 100,000 views. Um, but, you know, I did that for a couple of years. And then obviously when high school comes along, that's not important anymore. So... Uh, I put that aside and, and didn't circle back to it until, until really closer to the end of uh, graduating university. Yeah. I wanted to say that's an amazing story, but I thought that was too bad of a pun to make, so I, <laughs> I did it anyway. But, uh, and Jennifer, how about, how about you? Yeah, so hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, um, the CEO and co-founder of Epic. Um, here at Epic, we actually do a couple of different things. We build brick and mortar locations. We actually built Edmonton's first food hall at the first iteration of it in downtown Edmonton. Um, and now are building our second location on White Avenue and Gateway Boulevard. So uh, what we do is we aim to provide uh, very diverse culinary experiences, just like the one you um, experience today. Um, so we partner with chefs, different chefs, and they do different cuisine types. So we have Asian fusion, vegan, vegetarian, French, Italian, all in one place. Um, and uh, we started this journey about, oh, about three years ago for me, and we've been operating our first food hall for about two years. Um, the second one is, is going to come online, uh, likely Early next year, we keep uh, <laughs> promising, get, getting promised a date and then having to move it a little bit, a little bit due to construction, and that's just the nature of it. Um, and then we also build technology at my company. So um, our first um, technology we built was a, actually a, a whole food hall management system with a POS that was basically the thing that ran our business day to day and took payments from customers, allowed for online ordering, um, coordinated uh, orders across multiple different vendors. And, um, and today we are building events technology. So uh, we're building an app that allows businesses primarily or teams or organizations um, to kind of find packaged events um, easier and, and to actually plan events through our platform um, and, and get them booked uh, faster and easier. Uh, if anyone's ever planned an event for a large group before, you know how arduous it is to like email every single different vendor, try to find a place, try to find the catering, try to find, you know, whatever else you want to bring that event together. And we kind of help you through our application to, to package that all together. So that's the, the company I've built. And, and um, we are, um, I guess for, for me, in, in terms of, of inspiration, I mean, I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, my parents and my whole family, they're, um, they immigrated from Vietnam to, to Canada. And um, when there's a lot kind of against you as a new immigrant, uh, you kind of have to start businesses as a, as a almost out of necessity because you, you don't have the education or experience to get really good jobs. And so, um, you know, my family started um, a travel agency when I was young, um, nail salons. My dad uh, was in the food business. He still has a seafood distribution company in Richmond. And so um, it was interesting because I was actually very not encouraged to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> My family is like, do you know how hard it is? You, what you want is a 
nice, safe corporate government job, Jennifer. And so, um, you know, I was very studious throughout my entire um, education. I studied really hard. I got top grades um, and I landed that, you know, corporate job. And I was doing that um, corporate job for, for 10 years. I worked at Epcor, one of the large utilities here in Edmonton. And I you know, climbed that corporate ladder. I was a senior manager by the time I was 27 and was the youngest senior manager in the company. And, uh, and then I was like, you know what? I feel like I could do more. <laughs> and so I, I just wanted to, I think, you know, the guiding light for me, uh, my life vision is to, sorry, hopefully I'm not causing that feedback. Um, my life vision is to be a positive force of change no matter what I'm doing. And so I just felt like, you know, going out on my own, working really hard, I could make a bigger impact than I was seeing day to day. So that's, uh, that's where I come from. And I'm interested in talking about that, uh, going back to your corporate life, and I'll, I'll do this for both of you too. But, you know, I think the thing about most people when they get into becoming an entrepreneur, it starts off as a thing you do on the side, right? Like you have to have your nine to five. So I want to know about um, when you started doing your side project, how much of your life it took up, and then at what point you were like, you know what, I'm gonna make the, the leap to making, making this uh, my full-time job. So we'll start with you, Jennifer, and then we'll go over to Joel. Sure. So. Um, I've never been able to just do one thing my entire life. So I've always like been part, part of a lot of like clubs or um, nonprofit organizations. I've had um, my first side hustle was as a marketing director for like this indie record label <laughs> um, that was in, in universe, like my early university days. Um, after I finished my MBA, I I was working with a startup called, um, it was a telehealth startup, it's, it's no longer in place, but that's actually where um, I, I kind of worked with my co-founder first. And um, so I've always had these little side hustles because I just like, I, I really like work, I like being productive, I like feeling like I'm doing something interesting and meaningful and challenging and growing every day. Like that's really what I'm all about. And so I, I've always taken on these other projects. And so when the telehealth company wrapped up, we, uh, my co-founder and I were kind of, we're actually at his wedding and we were having way too many glasses of champagne and we're like, okay, this, this startup's done, what else do we wanna do? And um, the inception for, for Epic kind of came to be the seed, um, which is, you know, we want to tackle the restaurant industry and we want to make it easier for people to open up restaurants or for chefs to bring forward uh, a, a, a menu or, or their food in a way that they actually have control and, and have um, creative license and are able to do that. And so we, uh, we started the, the company. It was like iteration sessions in my living room about how we were going to bring these different, um, this, this infrastructure together for this project. And um, it slowly grew and slowly grew. And we, I did it for probably a good uh, year and a half on the side while I was working my nine to five. And it was getting to the point where we were about to open our first location. Um, and I realized, uh, one, I was kind of getting really tired because I was working, you know, and it was a senior management position, so it was. It's not like a <laughs> a walk in the park. It's it's quite demanding, and so I was I was working you know ten hours a day at my day job, and then every other waking hour and on the weekends on the on the side hustle. And I think there was a point where it was one kind of like for my own mental health, I needed to to pick one route, and I felt like I really needed to give this a shot and give it my all because if if I didn't and I it, 
you know, it, if I kind of only did it halfway and it didn't work out, I'd probably blame that the whole, my whole life or something. And, and so it was part, partly that, and then partly that the business became really demanding and I needed to, to make the jump. So that was when I shifted over. How about you, Joe? For me, so I, I went to U of A for petroleum engineering, which is a little bit different than what I do now. But um, I realized about halfway through my degree that it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I think I went in because I was good at math and science. Um, you know, I, my parents are both teachers. It seemed like engineering would be a, the right path for me uh, to get started anyways. And, and really it, it was because it gave me time to explore other things, even though I was really busy as I'm sure any other engineers in the room might know with, with schoolwork and just balancing that in life. But um, I was able to at least spend some time figuring out like what am I good at, you know, what do I wanna do? And I think about halfway through the degree I realized I think business was a, bit, a better fit for me, but I didn't really wanna specialize in accounting or finance necessarily. I, I was more into starting businesses and I felt like I was too young maybe to do that at that time. So it was around that time too that I discovered motivational speeches. Um, I was struggling through my first few years uh, and I started listening to a few speeches and motivational stories that really spoke to me at that time. And I found they actually helped me quite a bit with working harder, um, realizing that you know there's quite a few people around me that are smarter than me, but not because they were born that way, but because I could, you know, if I worked hard and I worked smart, I could also you know, achieve what they've achieved and, and get the grades they, they've are getting as well. So, you know, fast forward to after university, I finished uh, the degree about five years later and uh, had a quite an interest in starting things. And um, it was, oil prices also is 2016. So oil prices were $0 and it was really tough to find a, a good oil or any oil, <laughs> oil and gas uh, related or engineering even related job at the time. So um, I actually wasn't too bummed about that because I had these lists of business ideas uh, one of the things I like to do is just spend time kind of looking at the world and looking at things and, and ways, looking for ways to improve uh, on things and opportunities that are out there. And so I've got, like, yeah, I got notebooks of ideas, but um, out of university. How many domains do you have, Joel? Yeah, I got a lot of domains. Um, <laughs> a lot of not used domains, yeah, for sure. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the first things I started uh, at university was called Beer on Barber. So I own beerandbarber.com. <laughs> but, nice. uh, and that's really what my focus was. I'm like, I'm going to start this. I read a fact that 30% of, of guys cut their own hair. I'm like, whoa, like, you know, I'd like to save some money and cut my own hair because I don't have a job right now. So I, so I did, actually. And I found the first few times were hard. But after that, you know, there's lots of YouTube videos you can watch and to do it yourself unless you got, you know, really like crazy hairdo you're trying. But for me, it's just it buzz the sides back. Anyways, I won't get too much into that. But uh, I started that. It, it's a long process. Product businesses take a lot of time, iteration, sourcing materials. And on the side, uh, I started YouTube channels. And that's just a passion of mine. Is I started a pranks channel. That was the year of, of Pokemon Go. So <laughs> you talk about side hustles. I was going to sell Pokemon costumes, uh, which I, you know, I learned a few lessons about copyright that, that year as well. <laughs> Uh, the, the idea was there, the Pokemon pranks, anyways, the idea was there, but uh, <laughs> that one was not, a, yeah, happy that one didn't turn out, it probably would have been a mess. Um, but the motivational channel that I started really was compiling my favorite motivational speeches that I would listen to, for myself, really, I didn't know, I didn't know, think anyone would really find it, um, I just wanted to listen to all these speeches together in one video, so I posted a few of those, and they started doing 
really well, actually. The third one I posted got a million views in the first month, and and I was this is while I'm grinding away at like the costumes idea and a job. I got a job after about four months surveying um, and doing all these things that almost weren't really growing and weren't working. And this channel, which I was just took me a few minutes to put together these videos that weren't mine, started really taking off. So I, I realized from the comments through the views that there really was an opportunity there. Um, you know, I saw the how the videos and the speeches that that were you know help, helping me in my life were also helping people in kind of countless different ways that I didn't think of. So uh, I started to see an opportunity there beyond um, you know these videos are great for me and. And, and I won't get too deep into that story, but I guess I would say um, there's a lot of music labels and companies looking for music artists, but there was no one really trying to discover speakers. So at first it was all copyrighted content. I wasn't monetizing, and uh, but I, I, I immediately started reaching out to people. You know, I couldn't go right to the Tony Robbins level, but because we were getting views, we were getting subscribers, I was building that audience up to start. Um, as soon as I hit like 20,000, 30,000 subscribers a, a few months later, uh, because of those viral videos, I was finally able to connect with speakers and shows, um, kind of like Tim Ferriss interview shows. Um, someone mentioned Lewis Howes, so we, we licensed Lewis, How Lewis Howes content uh, from the School of Greatness, and we used that. Uh, and, and, and build those partnerships to start to monetize the videos. And, and all of it happened, I guess, quite fast. So like from when I graduated about within eight months, I was on YouTube finally, or finally, sorry, I was making um, more money than I was in my surveying job. So through the YouTube videos and and then the next month after that I was making uh, almost twice as much as I was in my surveying job and I'm like okay if I if I put my full self into this there's no way that you know well there's a way because it's YouTube and you never really know especially when you're starting but I, I really believed that I could you know focus on it and build um, uh, you know a business uh, around it and yeah so I, I, I slowly left my job I didn't leave I left part-time and then and then I, I finally uh, stepped away and just yeah focused on it that's how I, I left my I left and got into entrepreneurship. Yeah. You mentioned you had all these all these different ideas brewing in your head, and then you were like, "How many domains do you have? Do you, is it still? Is this just a constant thing for you both? Still, are you constantly thinking of new business ideas? It just never ends. It's like a ghost that haunts you daily, huh? Like, for me, it's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just like, oh, I have this great idea in the shower, and then I like immediately check if there's like a you know, a domain open for it. Do I have sh social handles that I can pull? And yeah, like usually I, I, I if, there, if, it, if I feel like it's a really good idea, I'll actually buy the domain. But if not, it's just, it gets lost in a notebook or something like that when I jot it down later on. So yeah, but it's just a, I think to, to Joel's point of kind of sitting back and actually looking at the world, you see what's missing. And if you think about what's missing in your life or what you, what's missing in your family's life or what, like for me, sometimes it's about what strengths I bring as well. Like what can I be really good at or what do I know a lot about um all of a sudden these like kind of gaps become really apparent and um and and that's how it usually starts for me is like oh this there's an idea of how to solve a, a certain problem that I know someone is having or that I'm having myself yeah and something I've realized and I'm sure you have as well is you know not all not all ideas are equal <laughs> and sometimes it's trial and error, error though right like if I would have just done the beer on barber company I don't know if it would have turned out but because you know, gave myself multiple opportunities to have something catch on. And we, we take that into our company today where we're always trying to start new things. We started a, a new channel, I was telling someone today already, but uh, last week called Sleep Stories. You know, who knows if it's actually gonna take off. But if it does, like, it could be a whole new division and 
you know, a big business for us too, so, yeah. I just want to note, when I interviewed Joel, and he talked about be your own barber, I thought he said beer and barber. And I, I'm like, st- I still thought that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, be, be your own. All right, be okay, own. okay, sure. Be Scissors involved, but whatever. Let's, um, okay. I thought it was about me, you know, taking, getting your own hair, your, cutting your own hair and drinking beer at the same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> like, a that good must idea. be a cool trend. <laughs> Hang on, not. Buy the domain. Sounds dangerous, yeah. Uh, I do want to talk, you know, you talk a lot about um, the challenges, and I want to ask a couple questions, uh, kind of pulling off what we were just talking about. First, I want to talk about work life balance, which, you know, I think. Becoming an entrepreneur, you correct me if I'm wrong, I think people who sort of romanticize about it are like, yeah, you get to be your own boss, that's really great. But on the other side of that, you are your own boss, which means you're always on the clock and you're always responsible for getting things done. So how do you balance, how do you do the, the work-life balance now that you're running your own business? We'll start with you, Jennifer, why not? Sure. Um, my joke about being my own boss is like, or, you know, Entrepreneurship basically being um, you get the freedom to work 24-7 is, is what that, that freedom is. <laughs> um, so I'm still kind of, I mean, I'm two, three years in now. I'm still trying to figure out how to actually achieve some semblance of work-life balance. Um, I care so much about my business. I, it's just something I think about like all the time like before I go to sleep, as soon as I wake up, um, I'm thankful. I, you know, from, from a family perspective, it's just me, my partner and our dogs right now and our, our cats. So we don't have, like, I don't have like the kind of demands of having like kids that really, really takes you away. And, and I'm, I have a partner that's so supportive and so gives me the latitude, just knows that I, you know, he asks me, when are you coming home? And I, he knows that most of the time I will not give him a real answer because I don't want to get in trouble, right? Like, I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll see. And he, he just accept that, accepts that as it is. Um, for me, it's about trying to prioritize uh, the key things that are really, really important to me. Uh, number one is um, sleep, <laughs> which is kind of a crazy thing to say. But like, I honestly, for me to function well, I do really need to, to sleep. I um, try to fit in exercise. Um, and then, you know, maybe once a week I get to, you know, see some friends for a few hours or something like that. But, uh, you know, for me, it's it's it, taking care of myself so I can function well in the, in the day and, and um, seeing my partner and my dogs every day for the time that I do have. Um, but I'm still, it's a journey and it's really hard. Um, I find businesses to be um, pretty all-consuming. Like they, they just, they have such gravity around them and they pull you, they pull your teammates, they pull, they end up pulling your partners and your family somehow. And uh, uh, it's just because they need a lot to, to actually be successful and keep going. And so I'm still, I'm still working on it. I hope Joel has some good tips. <laughs> I, f- I feel like you're speaking for me already. So uh, no, uh, for me, work-life balance I used to subscribe to the idea of uh, you don't need one, <laughs> but uh, more recently in the last few years, I, I definitely uh, realized I was working too much. And so, especially during COVID, uh, you know, 80, 100 hour work weeks were, were way too much. Um, you know, I love what I do. My, my hobby became my work. So I'd make YouTube videos and things like that in my, on my spare time. And so when I, you know, started doing this full time, it was, it was great for a number of years, and then I realized, uh, you know, especially as the company grew too, 
I found like I'm no longer really making the videos anymore. I'm in meetings all day constantly. It's a different kind of work and it requires a different kind of energy as well. And so now I would say I subscribe to the idea of managing my energy and not even necessarily my time. And what I mean by that is I can plan my whole week and I can you know pack everything in and plan a couple hours of rest and that sort of thing. But really I have to do things like just recently, I, I try to, like when I look at my week and, and plan, I try to plan my work-life balance, I actually had some burnout to start this year, I'll admit to that. So I had to really pull back for a couple of weeks uh, almost fully even like a full days off a few days off wasn't enough so um yeah so I learned really that you know I have to draw lines for myself personally even though my work is fun and and that's it can be fun uh, there can also be stressful right especially if you're you're trying to grow a company whether you're getting off the ground or whether it's already big um you know it's a lot of that is how you see it and how you you use your time but uh, how, how I manage my energy, though, is I, I try to schedule my, my week almost 50% free, and I try to end at 5. Like, you never used to. I just go past 5 and work forever <laughs> kind of thing. But but it's helped me a lot to draw those lines um, because I feel way more rested. And and when you're burnt out, when you're working out too much and you're, you know, your stress levels are high, you're not, you're not doing good work. And I had to almost take a full week off early this year to actually realize that, um, you know, I wasn't my usual creative self. Uh, and the reason was I just wasn't taking nearly enough time to myself and time away from screens too, because I tend to take time away and I'm on my phone and I'm going from my laptop to, uh, you know, the TV and it's just 24 hour screen time nowadays. But, but now I try to do a lot of things like... You mean you're not on your laptop while you're watching TV as well? <laughs> yeah, no, that's the hard thing too, right? It's just multitasking, but... But no, it's it's become a big, a real important thing for me, um, because burnout can be can be serious, right? So, yeah. If you're good at uh, getting people away from screens, you should talk to my three-year-old, because it's uh, impossible. It's not, it's not getting easier. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, the other area. See, I think the thing about another thing about entrepreneurial jobs that I find very interesting is there's such a deep personal connection to your work. Uh, and I think a lot of us, if, for your job, for your career, you do identify it with your person, but in the sense that, you know, you, so much is at stake and it's something that you created. Um, so in the sense of also how do you do work-life balance, how do you approach risk uh, in your business? How do you, um, what kind of strategies do you have around risk-taking and uh, what advice might you have for managing or mitigating risk? And, uh, you know... Does any of you have an answer off the top of your head? I try not to ask too many specific questions, but, you know. Yeah, sure, I could go first. Um, how do I approach risk? I think it's, a, it's definitely a complicated question. Um, I'm trying to think of... Like, like we, we do a lot of balancing, so I'm a numbers guy, so I look at the spreadsheets, um, you know, I look at how much money we're making, we, we've been pretty fortunate to be profitable since the business started. So we've had extra cash to try things and try things without being too scared. Um, I'm definitely a saver. So I also don't want to put everything into, you know, growing the business. Uh, so I, I, I try to look at the numbers and, and put aside a certain amount of money, you know, for, for if something goes wrong with the main business, while also I think taking risks is just hugely important. And it's, it's interesting because I almost don't look at it as taking risks. I just enjoy starting new things and, and trying things and, you know, ride the wave. And, and we 
try a lot of things. So things fail all the time, but I almost don't even look at them as failures. I just think of them as like these two things worked and these five things didn't. Um, but yeah, I would say to some degree, we're just, we're taking risks all the time, but not with the core business. We do uh, a lot of things like consistent um, videos with speakers that we license. One way, I guess we do balance risk in our industry is, is copyright. So if you've seen any of our videos, you know, sometimes we pull from movies, rarely nowadays, but our editors love to go into like copyrighted movies and pull a motivational quote or scene. Um, nowadays, we're, I'd say like 95% or so all licensed content or we created ourselves. Uh, we have two interview shows now, so um, I'm doing interviews myself as much as I can just to get original content, really to avoid, you know, that, that risk of someone coming after you. And our space has been fortunate. It's not like music where almost every music track is flagged as soon as you use it if you're not supposed to on YouTube. Uh, in our case, the speaker's side is, is pretty wide open still, which is kind of surprising. But we also have a digital rights management business too, where uh, we've started, so we have Motiversity, we also have an app called Mindset. And so uh, I guess I can just keep going on about risk, but in, uh, on the YouTube side, YouTube's a risk in itself, right? Like what if something happens with YouTube and you know the algorithm's changing all the time. So um, to mitigate that risk, we've looked at ways of diversifying. So we've started uh, an app called uh, mindset daily motivation which is kind of like spotify but for motivation and and personal development speeches and uh, we started that about three four years ago and it's, it's done fairly well i think we have over two hundred and fifty thousand users now um, but you know it's not comparable to like a youtube but it still helps us with if something does happen we can really double down on this app uh, we've also like i was saying started a digital rights management business underneath mindset uh, which is kind of like our tech division and with that, we're now licensing speaker content to other creators like ourselves. And so we are the exclusive licensors of, of Alan Watts, if you've ever heard of him, or Zig Ziglar as well. Uh, if creators use, that, use them on YouTube, we actually allow them to use those speakers in return for a, a, a percentage of their, of their royalties. So, so we've been kind of mitigating our own, our own risks by any way we can, really, yeah. Oh, how do I follow that answer? <laughs> that was really good. Um, I think I, I echo what Joel was saying about um, a lot of the decisions that you're making and a lot of the things you're trying, they're just, it's not risk, it's its experimentation, it's iteration. Um, when I started this business, we actually um, built, you know, four new commercial kitchens because like the, the, the format of our business is we were going to be infrastructure for restaurants, right? Infrastructure for independent chefs to be able to come in and start a restaurant. There is a lot of risk in that. <laughs> and the only way to actually try it and do it right is to actually do it, like to build the thing, to invest the money into all of the equipment, into the whole system. And we realized really quickly that that model wasn't working for a number of different reasons. And so had to pivot within a, the first year and a half to, to try a different model, which is what we have today. Um, but along the way, you know, the, what we thought was a good risk mitigation strategy was how do we be different and how do we give ourselves the latitude to try different things and see what works. So when we first launched our business, we actually had this whole marketplace component too, where you could not only order, you know, from four of these different independent vendors, one was burgers, one was like vegan um, pizza and that kind of thing. And then um, also all these local goods too. So it was like a combination of, you know, alcohol and um, wine and um, 
different like local marketplace goods that you can buy plus hot food. And we threw it all together in this location and we just saw what worked. And that that's a good way I think to mitigate it is to try a bunch of different things and be nimble and realize and figure out kind of what's the parameters of the experiment that I'm doing? Like what are, what's some really quick um, success measures that I can put into place and measure really quickly to, to see if this is something that we should continue to pursue and what we shouldn't. And there's been many, many things that we have changed. We are no longer doing marketplaces. We're not, we're, we're no longer, you know, licensing to independent chefs, our space. Um, and um, because we realized we needed to, in order to scale, we need to have more control, for example. Um, and you, you learn learn so much as you go um, that that's how I think we we uh, mitigate that risk. We also lean on a lot of um, advisors and mentors um, that may have <laughs> done this kind of thing before us. So we um, so VMS is a great example of like a you know a, a board of, of advisors that I have now th three advisors that from all different areas that I can kind of pull from um, and and bring issues towards. Uh, we've, we've also you know brought on other mentors and advisors throughout the way. And so when I'm thinking about some doing something and trying something different, um, I run it past them and see what they think and. Uh, and then also like kind of talking to customers too, right? Like for, for me, it's how do I um, float this idea uh, amongst a, a, a good diversity of people that's gonna give me a good view of what's what's to come with this. Um, and then probably lastly, just uh, um, just trying to figure out a way to, tr to start small with something. How can I introduce an idea that's like, it's not too much money, not too much investment, like Joel said, not putting all of your money into it, but being able to, to try that little experiment first um, in a small way before you, you try something huge. So that's, that's how I would manage risk best. <laughs> I like how even though you both do pretty different types of business, there's a lot of connection between, a lot of familiarity with, one, with what one another are saying. And, I want to talk a little bit, you talked about learning. I want to talk about the kind of skills that you've developed and the skills that you think are useful to becoming an entrepreneur, or even things that maybe you were surprised that you had to get good at in order to, uh, to, to run your business effectively. I don't know, Jennifer, what do you got off the top of your head? Um, <clears throat> a big one for me is uh, kind of like tolerance for uncertainty and tolerance for ambiguity. Um, that was a big one that I, I just, because I worked like these, you know, kind of safe corporate jobs for a long time, there's not a lot that's uncertain. There's not a lot that's ambiguous. You kind of, you have a, a lane and even though it may seem at the time, like you have, a, that there's a lot of risk or a lot of uncertainty, it, you, I don't, it, it took me not being in that corporate role to really understand how different it is in the, in entrepreneurship. And, uh, I had to get, um, I had to get good at that really, really fast because I was very uncomfortable with a lot of the decisions and issues that we were dealing with in the beginning and I just didn't know how to find my way through it. So um, that was one big one. I think also for me, I was very successful uh, growing up, like in school, in clubs, in organizations, in work. I was always kind of like, always up and to the right. Um, and to, Joel's point about, you know, things not working out, that is the norm <laughs> in entrepreneurship. You will try things, you'll do things, and they just won't work out the way you think it will. And so learning to accept um, 
that failure was normal and and not a reflection of me was a big thing too that it's it's not that I was dumb or that I wasn't good enough to, to, to make this thing that I wanted to work. It's just sometimes that is the reality of it. And I hadn't dealt with setbacks um, in that way before and in, in that real way. Um, so that I had to really understand like how to quickly learn from those setbacks and move on and not beat myself up over it or not you know dwell on it. Um, and thirdly, I would probably say, um, Agility, agility to, to accept changes and accept um, different, um, uh, different paths forward um, and, and being quick, quick to adapt to, to the, the situation at hand, realizing what's going wrong and figuring out a way, a way forward was, was something that was tough for me too because, um, again, a lot of my roles up, in, up until I was, became an entrepreneurship, entrepreneur, it was... Uh, just much simpler. It, it didn't require me to be as agile as I am now. So, yeah, good answer. Well, I can follow that up. <laughs> um, I would agree with yeah everything you're saying. I think um, for me, you know, willingness to fail was a big piece of it. I think I start again. I started lots of things, um, so that would be helpful. I, I think there's a deep belief in the motivational space. We talk a lot about believing in your in yourself. And that's something that I really got from the speeches that I didn't have before. And um, you can call it confidence, but you know, how do you build confidence? There's obviously articles out there on that. But I think for me, it started with really believing that I, you know, I have ideas, but I had to believe in myself first to take that first step and, and to start small. Um, if you have ideas and you, you want to get started, I think that's just huge uh, as much as you can. Um, Tony Robbins talks about decisions, and I, I subscribe to that idea. Uh, so if you want to change your life, you have to make a decision first. So I think there's all, the, all these little things. Um, you could talk about discipline too, but I think discipline le less so. I think, uh, I think being willing to make the decision that this is something that you want to do, that you want to try, and, and be willing to, to fail if it, if it doesn't work out, and, and try again, uh, because uh, it's really hard to kind of get it right the first time. I have to say, there's there's a lot of things. <laughs> there is. I, <laughs> like, could I, I could keep going and list yeah. off so many different yeah. things, which is why I I treasure this journey as hard as it is. And like when there's great, like when there's great days, there, things are great. But when there's bad days, things are really bad. And but I do treasure like this whole journey that it that it's been and like everything that it's taught me, even just in the short time that I've been doing it. So, but there's so many things that you learn as an entrepreneur, and we're just kind of skimming the surface of it. Yeah, because we could go into the basic skills, but I think everyone knows like it's helpful to have you know a bit of like finance knowledge and yeah. you know ability to track uh, selling, revenue. Selling, yeah. sales, selling sales, like selling skill, your company, yeah. selling yourself, selling marketing, your team. marketing. Yeah, right. <laughs> you just, yeah. we could just go on. But yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, you talk about learning how to embrace uncertainty, learning to fail. Is that a thing that you think you could have learned before you got into this? Is it a thing you could have practiced and got good at? before you went into it, or is it something you had to experience to know? For me, it was a mindset, I'd say, uh, just out of university that, again, like if, if this doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I, it helped that I lived at home at the time, I, I would say. Um, I did have pressure on myself to, to make this work sooner than later, but I gave myself time. I, I was totally willing to look for an engineering job, work in engineering for years, 
and, and maybe figure something out eventually for whether it's uh, but YouTube to me was going to be a side income too. So, so um, yeah, I would say, uh, but I think the speeches, I don't know, still, still convinced me that like, don't be afraid to fail. Um, if I had, you know, if it was a different kind of business and I was putting a lot of money into building a restaurant and, you know, putting all the marbles in, I, I might have a different uh, answer to that question. But fortunately, like with YouTube and with um, certain businesses, you can start them a, a little faster and also with like a lower budget to start. Yeah. Personally, I, I don't think I really would have got it. You know, and, and I was warned by my own family, for, who are people <laughs> who are entrepreneurs themselves, right? Like how hard and how challenging the journey would be. And I just, I don't think I believed them. Yeah. Like I, I <laughs> or I thought maybe I was, you know, the exception. There's like this ego bit of it that it's like, oh no, I, I can handle it, right? And it wasn't until I was in it that I was like, oh shit, this is what they're talking about. <laughs> You know, so honestly, like, I think there's like maybe different um, activities you can undertake that like help you learn it. Um, I imagine, you know, being on sports teams at like a high competitive level would give you some of that. But I think entrepreneurship is something else. And it's um, it's you really don't understand until you get there. And that's that's how I felt. I, I had so many people telling me all sorts of things about it. But until I experienced it, it wasn't real. I have one more question I want to get to, and then we'll uh, open it up for some questions from other people. But you know, the, this whole time we've talked about it, you, you've mentioned other people, you mentioned teammates and family, et cetera. But I do want to talk about mentorship um, because this doesn't have to be a journey that people go on by themselves, and mentorship is very important. I'm sure it's been important to both of you. So I was wondering if you could just speak to how mentorship has played a role in what you do and um, if you have any tips about building mentorship, finding mentors, and building that relationship. Joel, I don't know. Do you have anything off the top of your head? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, events like this are great for meeting people. I actually met my current business partner at Startup Edmonton, which I think is now Edmonton Unlimited, um, working across uh, the other side of the desk from him. So he was, um, uh, his name's Tyler, he's a strategic uh, leadership coach. And so he was coaching executives and and doing a lot of, of that sort of thing, whereas I had no business experience at the time. This was like within the first year of starting the channels. Uh, I was reading lots of business books, so you know I was making my way uh, through through entrepreneurship. But but meeting him a, across the desk, and and he was he also had a student leadership conference, and I think that's how we really connected. Was uh, I started a channel called Motivation to Study, which was really taking off at the time, and is our biggest uh, channel today. And he had a student leadership conference, so. We're like, oh, we have this similarity. We got talking, and he agreed to, well, he offered to uh, do some mentoring for me. And in return, he said, you can mentor me. I'm like, what can I mentor you in, right? Um, <clears throat> but I think that what he saw was, uh, you know, me growing on YouTube and him not really having a, a profile online, whether it was even like a LinkedIn at the time or a YouTube channel. And and that could is something that he felt could really disrupt his business. So. I laugh and I, I, I think he's more of my mentor than the other way around, but at the same time, I've helped him start a YouTube channel, so he's got one now too. But, but uh, after a couple of years of, of him mentoring me, and, and really it was really valuable time because as a solo founder and someone who just started the company by myself, I did start going to places like networking events a little bit as much as I could because uh, I'm more of an introvert, so I don't mind you know working at home for long periods of time. We all experienced uh, COVID, but 
but after a few months of that, I just needed to work somewhere else. So I started working at Startup Edmonton uh, with the hopes of maybe meeting a co-founder, me meeting someone else I could really grow the business with. I was already hitting, I think with my first two hires, uh, I just felt like I was hitting a wall of capacity of, uh, you know, if there's one more of me, this would be fantastic. So I was really fortunate uh, to meet him. And, and ever since then, I've, I've met people at all sorts of um, events and, 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 and things like that. We were in co-working spaces for quite a while. I think the first five years of the company, we were, our office was in co-working spaces for that reason too, where you never know who you're going to meet. But, but uh, yeah, Tyler was a, was a great mentor for me, still is to this day. Um, at the time, we were meeting once a month just to exchange ideas to run problems off each other and, and really had different outlooks. Um, since then, I've had a few different mentors. Uh, this past year, so I joined the VMS program, and, and that's been fantastic, honestly. Um, uh, I can't thank the, the U of A and the, and the VMS program enough because, uh, well, it's free and it's, <laughs> I, can't, I still get shocked every time. We, we meet once a month uh, with, or sorry, once a month, once every few months with uh, mentors that we're matched up with. And um, I actually applied for the program when I my first year of business and didn't get in, so I'm pretty happy to be in right now. But <laughs> uh, but I got matched up with uh, three incredible people. So one of them is actually the CEO of Cashco, which is like a 250 person company. And so that perspective is something I you know you can read books, but a lot of books are pretty high level. Um, it, but to talk to someone face to face and to sh you know, show them the challenges you're you're um, going through has just been so valuable and to get that perspective and uh, with with coaching the VMS program they try not to necessarily give you advice they don't know your world your YouTube channels that sort of thing in, in my case uh, but they do a great job um, asking questions uh, which is their style of coaching so they uh, and Jen can speak to this too I'm sure uh, they nudge you along and and get you almost to answer your own problems by asking you uh, questions and, and what you realize quite often or at least I do is is that the, the challenges that I thought were the challenges are, weren't actually the problems, it's, it's other things. And you have to almost go through that, that thought process or that back and forth with a, a mentor or two to, to kind of get there. So um, yeah, the VMS program and, and having mentors has been, been really valuable, um, more so than I even thought, yeah. Awesome, so yeah, um, mentorship for me has been pretty transformational for my business. <clears throat> um, the first mentor that I kind of uh, brought on to my, like, I almost call them my own like personal advisory board <laughs> of, of people that I that I work with and, and help me through these issues. Um, I was actually her customer. So we were looking for um, a leasing company to partner with for all of our equipment, uh, our kitchen equipment that we were buying. And um, so I got hooked up with the president of Prime Capital. Her name is Angela Armstrong. And um, she and I just really clicked. Um, like, so she, she gave me a lease for all of this equipment, but then we just started talking about business and she's, she, her business has been around for, I think 20, 25 years now. Um, she's the president of it. She's a female. Um, I saw her immediately, like not only did our personalities click, but I saw her immediately as someone I could, could learn from and emulate. And, um, so we just, I, I kind of just said, Hey, Angela, I know I'm your customer, but it kind of felt like asking someone out on a date, like, <laughs> will you be my mentor? I, and she said yes, and I was so excited. Um, and we meet on a monthly basis. Um, I go through all sorts of things with her. She's seen me at, you know, the top and the bottom. And what's great is I can just be fully, like, transparent and myself and not have to put on any facade because I feel like as an entrepreneur, sometimes you're, you're always having to kind of 
sell your business and sell that things are going good and getting people excited and keep like, you know, trying to get people on board. And so having that person who's literally been through what I've been through in different contexts, but the founder journey, I think is very similar uh, across all founders. Like you, you deal with a lot of the same things, even if you have different, very different businesses. So yeah, for me, it was, as being, was being, was being able to be vulnerable and, and authentic and, and honest about what was going on and getting real advice and, and from a person who actually has gone through it was so, so valuable. Like sometimes she says things and it's like, like, have you been reading my journal or like, are you in my head? <laughs> she just gets it, you know? And so that's a, I think that's, I think, you know, some people find um, the founder journey very lonely because your friends, your partner, they just might not get what you're really going through. Um, and so, so having that kind of a resource is amazing. Um, I, I think with, with VMS too, like you say, like having a board, I, I was hooked up with um, the founder of the Hudson's Group Canada, like the, one, of the, one of the gentlemen that actually started that whole chain of, of restaurants and bars. And, and that's such a, an amazing contact. And he's been able to co connect me with others in the, in the industry. And again, just knows what I'm going through. And so um, what I've been really surprised about I guess I shouldn't be because people are amazing, but how willing, like our entire startup ecosystem here in Edmonton is just willing to help. There are so many people you can just talk to and just tell people what you're dealing with and all of a sudden they're they're trying to help you find connections or they're trying to give you advice or um, they, like everybody really, really wants to help. Um, I'm, I'm one of the, I'm a coach as well for the Velocity Accelerator Program, which is one of Edmonton Unlimited's um, accelerator programs. It's like the late stage accelerator program. And a lot of these Edmonton Unlimited programs are like completely free to, to founders, right? And they, they hook you up with like direct coaching and mentoring. And so we have like a really amazing budding startup ecosystem here in Edmonton now that I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of as a, as a founder myself, but also as a contributor. And um, I think there's just so many resources out there. So if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur here in Edmonton, like this is this is the time. There's, there are things that are available now, resources, help support funding that just wasn't here even a couple of years ago so it's a good time that's excellent thank you very much do we have time for questions Jen no <laughs> perhaps that's sure. a better one you can just come up and ask them yourselves well thank you let's uh, give a round of applause to Joel and Jennifer thank you all very much Thanks for listening to this special live episode of What the Job, and thanks to our guests, Jennifer and Joel, for talking to us about their entrepreneurial journeys. And as always, a reminder that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. It's free, and you can try it out today at uab.ca slash asboard. It's a great tool no matter where you are in your career journey. That's all for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. See you next time.